When Matt Flynn was a kid, his mom told him not to worry about what other people thought of him. That advice has been put to the test during his campaign for governor, as several groups and even some state legislators have called for him to drop out of the race based on his work defending the Archdiocese of Milwaukee against claims of sexual abuse by priests. The Milwaukee attorney says Wisconsin needs a governor who will stand up when he needs to, and Flynn says he won't be pressured by the groups and people leading that charge. I'm Jesse Opoyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about the 2018 elections in Wisconsin. In addition to his career as an attorney, Matt Flynn is a former head of the state Democratic Party. He's run for office several times, and he's a Navy veteran. And if elected, he is bound and determined to bring an end to the state's contract with Foxconn. Stay tuned for my conversation with him. But first, let's check in on this week's news. Joining me again this week is Cap Times News Editor Jason Joyce. Welcome back, Jason. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. How's your holiday week treating you? Oh, it's good. It's it's a little hot, but I took in the sounds of John Philip Sousa last night at Concerts on the Square. Very patriotic. I feel very American there. Not American flag polo shirt patriotic. Which but like is a thing that you saw. It is a thing that I saw a gentleman wearing a Wisconsin Valley shirt and a, an American flag polo was there last night. Um, I feel it more in my heart, I think, in uh, yeah, my soul. You know, yeah. we, we don't have to be blatant with our Exactly. Patriotism. Yeah. How about you? Well, it is my dog's birthday. It was her third birthday. So right. she accompanied me to some barbecues and lit some sparklers, ate a lot of grilled meat. It's great. That's what we're celebrating. That's America. As much as anything else. Right. So last week, you attended a celebration of a different sort. I did. In our state. The Wisconsin Valley, as previously mentioned. Yeah, right. So Donald Trump, the president, came to Mount Pleasant and the greater Racine County area to celebrate the ceremonial groundbreaking of the Foxconn plant. It was overwhelming. They had a groundbreaking ceremony where they actually put the shovels in the ground. And then they had this big extravaganza at an, an existing building that Foxconn has purchased. And it was just all of the technology on display, 8K screens showing all the different implications of how they could use the screens that they're going to manufacture at this plant. And then the swanky reception, there was a band, there were Wisconsin beers and meats and cheeses, cream puffs uh, served by both humans and robots. Snackbot. Snackbot. We love it. What an amazing situation. And I guess this is part of the rollout of this massive project down there. There sort of uh, holding nothing back in in rolling this thing out and making sure everyone's aware of it and impressed by it. The polling on this is still slow going in terms of public opinion. People seem to universally agree that they think it'll benefit the area where this plant is being located. But we saw the following day after this event was an announcement that Foxconn has purchased a building in Green Bay and is going to be moving some operations up there. So I think in parts of the state where people are a little more skeptical about what the benefit will be to them, we're starting to see some of that footprint expanding. And do we know anything about how Foxconn will affect the governor election? It's a touchy issue, obviously, for because it is jobs coming to this area. It has, by and large, fallen along party lines because Democrats see it as something that could potentially benefit Scott Walker. The Democratic candidates on the campaign trail have pretty much universally said they don't like it. Some of them say they have to just sort of accept that this is the deal and try to make sure that the company is held accountable. But there are a few other Democrats who are running for governor who are saying if they are elected, they will dismantle it or, or try to re- renegotiate the contract. Sort of in keeping with that theme of getting around the state and really finding out what people outside of, you know, Madison and and Milwaukee are thinking. Democratic candidate Malin Mitchell has hit 
the campaign trail in earnest this week. He has the plan, I think it's 20 cities in 10 days. They're going to go talk policy and then have beers. I think he called it the, the Badger State Beer Tour or something like yeah. that. Um, so I guess the deal is get around to as many cities as possible, talk about some of his platform. Um, he's going to be unveiling different proposals and then going to breweries and bars and meeting with people, which it, is the Wisconsin way, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's definitely a theme, right? Paul Soglin has discussed his supper club, his sort of unofficial mm-hmm. supper club tour. You know, I've seen tweets out from various candidates holding fundraisers and whatnot in, in supper clubs and sort of taverns around the state. They're hitting this uh, <laughs> They are. Theme. I mean, everyone talks about, like, who's the candidate you want to have a beer with? And I guess these people are going to, like, prove that it's yeah, them. Yeah, me. Yeah. It should be me. Do it. Just have the beer. Oh, boy. All right. And finally, then, it's parade season. It is. Everybody's getting in the parade uh, spirit. We saw a fun tweet from U.S. Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson. Yeah, Kevin Nicholson was in a parade. And the weather's just been, like, terrible lately. It's either, you know, 100 degrees and sunny or it's raining and still gross and humid. So he just embraced that, really. He's walking in this parade and he's already drenched and these guys come up to him who, just like the broiest, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know what they were doing before this, but they had set up a makeshift slip and slide on a hill, came up to Kevin Nicholson on the parade route, told him, you know, let's go slide. And he went for it. It really appeared to be a total genuine, spontaneous moment. He's running away after the, after he's done, says, you know, remember this in November. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, he really needs voters to remember this on August 14th. On August 14th. 14th that's right. Yeah. Um, so the question then is, what might we see from his opponent, Yavukmir, <laughs> and potential opponent, Tammy Baldwin? I mean, you know, beer bongs? Like, oh, my God. What else is there? <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll start a flip cup tournament or something. Oh, my. Let know. us all just hope that, yeah, this doesn't turn <laughs> into a stunt off uh, yeah. dictated by the bros of Wisconsin. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what Matt Flynn has to say. Certainly has been in the news recently as well. It has um, been. Yep. This interview was recorded really right before a couple of state legislators called on him to get out of the governor's race, which we don't talk about those two state legislators specifically in our conversation, but we do talk about the calls from, from other groups to get out of the race. Thanks for being here, Matt Flynn. Matt, why don't you start by telling me why you're running for governor? I'm running for governor because I'm not going to stand by and watch our democracy destroyed. In Washington, Donald Trump, in my view, has betrayed us to the Russians for bribery and blackmail. And um, in Wisconsin, Madison Scott Walker is representing his donors. He's more of a foreman for Coke Industries than he is a, a governor of all of Wisconsin. We used to be known for clean water high wages and honest government, and now we're known for dirty water, low wages, and corrupt government. And I'm not going to tolerate that, so that's why I'm running for governor. What sets you apart from the others in the field? Well, there's a couple of things. I'm a Navy veteran. I'm the only veteran in the race on either side. I've gotten very good response from my fellow veterans around the state. The second thing is I was the chair of the Democratic Party, so I know the party quite well, and I know the counties quite well. I think I can unify this state better than any of them. The third thing, the the main competitor right now is Tony Evers, and we differ on three main issues. One, One is uh, Foxconn. I'm the only candidate in the race who said I'll stop it and how I will stop it because that Foxconn deal is a crooked deal and it'll strangle our budget for 15 years. Tony's solution is to make them put solar panels on the roof, and I think that's too weak. The second thing is uh, Tony Evers praised Walker's budget, the current budget, said it was good news and it reflected his budget. I think it's a corrupt budget that was drafted really by the Koch brothers, and uh, I think we need a sharper contrast. The third thing is Tony Evers said that the 
pay of first-year legislators should be lowered to that of first-year teachers. And I think this kind of punitive pitting people against each other is more Republican tactic. My approach is raise teachers' wages and raise uh, legislators' wages. We, we don't want just wealthy people running for the legislature, and we want teachers to have the morale back and repeal Act 10. So do you see it as a race between yourself and Tony Evers at this point? Yes. I don't think there's any question about that. If you take a look at not only the polling data, but everything I've seen around the state, we have many good candidates. I like them all. If any one of them is the nominee and I'm not, I'll support them. But I expect to be the nominee. And it's pretty clear as I go around the state and in the polling data that it's, the choice is going to be between me and Tony Evers. And you see him as sort of a Republican light almost or Democrat light. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I like Tony, but I, I think I, my, he's my a friend my friend Tony, but um, all of his life he's been an independent up until the last, I don't know, 10 years or eight years when he uh, was running for office. And I've been a Democrat all my adult life and was the party chairman. And what I see with Tony is... um, if you have any any issue that really concerns Democrats, for instance, um, right to work and prevailing wage, Act 10, what Tony will say about Act 10 is, well, it's probably not going to get repealed, but if they put it on my desk, I'd sign it. Well, it's not going to get repealed unless the governor's out there with a club. The same with right to work and prevailing wage. And there's so many other issues. I, I think that he's been comfortable all his career working with uh, basically Republican school boards. And we have very different approaches to this. But I think if we don't have a sharp contrast to Scott Walker, we may not win. So that's why I'm running. You mentioned Foxconn as, as being something that you have a strong contrast on. And you, I know, recently put out a really specific plan as to how you would go about undoing that deal. Can you just talk a little bit about that? and how you would accomplish that? Sure. Um, My entire career, obviously I've been the chairman of the party, but my entire career has been uh, involved in litigation, complex litigation that hits a lot of these issues. And here's my view of it. Everyone else in the Democratic Party says it's terrible, they complain about it, but we got to live with it. Well, no, we don't have to live with it because it will strangle our budgets for 15 years. Four and a half billion dollars Uh, They've been exempted from the Court of Appeals jurisdiction. They've been exempted from wetlands. They've been exempted from the environmental impact statement. Uh, The the basis of my suit will be, as governor, because I need standing to bring it, but the basis of the suit is very simple. An illegal unconstitutional contract is not enforceable in Wisconsin. Now, why is this illegal and unconstitutional? Because it exempts this company, in this case a, a foreign Chinese company, from three of our laws, Court of Appeals jurisdiction, wetlands environmental impact statement. And it's a cardinal principle of law that you can't uh, pass legislation just to benefit one entity, whether it's a corporation or individual. So uh, I think everybody else is giving up too easily. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go after them. I do not want Foxconn. I think they have a questionable record. I don't want them in the state uh, by giving them four and a half billion. Now, if they want to come back to me and say, we're a private company and we just want to make a profit and here's what we'll do. I'll talk to them about, for instance, obeying our environmental laws and giving them no money. But I think these are sort of drive-by artists that like to come in, grab what they can, and I don't want them. Talk to me about your introduction to being politically active. I mean, you, you were the chairman of the party. You have run for office before. But what sparked your interest? What sparked my interest when I was a very young kid was John F. Kennedy and uh, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And their, their assassinations in the 1960s when I was very young had a powerful impact on me. I thought they were three very good men. They brought an idealism to politics that I've never forgotten. So I went in the Navy, got out of the Navy, went to UW Law School, met my wife, Mary. He's from Monroe, Wisconsin. We've uh, married 41 years. We moved to Milwaukee. I practiced law at Quarles and Brady, but I got active and I ran for office, ran for Congress. I was not successful, but I was the party's nominee, uh, our party. And then um, people talked to me about running for party chair, and I did, and I was elected to two terms. My mentor was Senator William Proxmire, 
who took me under his wing. I traveled around the state with him, and he taught me quite a bit, and I've loved it. You uh, did a radio interview recently where you talked about the role that identity politics plays in the Democratic Party. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Well, when you look at what our ultimate objectives are, we have to be unified. So if we're going to stop Foxconn, which is this crooked deal that's strangling us, we have to have a unified party. And what's happened ever since, um, it's probably in the last 20 years or so, but since I was the chair, is people have sort of split into different groups in the party. I firmly believe that the progressive movement that we've seen in the party is the heart and soul of the future of the party. We are the progressive party. That's back when we were formed after the Second World War, the modern party, we're the progressive party. But it's come to the point now where we have a progressive caucus, for instance. Well, I don't think there's a need for progressive caucus in the Democratic Progressive Party. <laughs> sure. Because people are not joining the party. There's at least one candidate who said he's not going to support the nominee if it's mm-hmm. not him. Yep. And, you know, I'm a chairman. And so my message is simply a very, very positive one, which is, look, guys, let's all get together. You know, we are the ones that nominated Barack Obama. We nominated Hillary Clinton. In 1960, we nominated John F. Kennedy, which was a big deal back then. We do it, but we don't have to do it by balkanizing ourselves, by splitting ourselves. Sure. Is there an increased risk of that with the field as large as it is? I guess, would you, it's starting to narrow, but would you like to see it narrow a little bit more than it has? Well, I'd like to see it narrow just to myself. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's effective. Effectively narrowing to me and um, and Tony Evers. I have a lot of respect for Paul Soglin. Um, he's a very, very good mayor of Madison. But effectively what I'm seeing around the state is um, me and Evers. I think we're going to have a good TV buy. We're getting around the state. And I think people know my name. But two people whom I have a lot of respect for have dropped out so far. And uh, I expect there may be a couple of others. You know, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm just yeah. out there campaigning and I, I'm tending to my own campaign. Other people are going to do what they're going to do. You mentioned your background as an attorney with Quarles and Brady. Can you talk about some professional accomplishments that you're proudest of and how that has shaped your, your worldview? I've uh, I've tried a lot of cases and I've uh, argued a lot of appellate arguments and uh, court of appeals, Supreme Court. I've argued in courts around the country in uh, areas that aren't necessarily friendly, say, to a northern state that kind of thing. And what I found is I love human nature. I love meeting people. I think that that experience has best suited me to um, uh, make the case against Scott Walker. When you get up in front of someone like that who consistently lies about what he's doing, like now he calls himself the education governor, which I thought was a joke from the onion, frankly. And I personally think that he lost more than his hair when he hit his head if he thinks he's the education governor. This guy took a billion dollars out of public education, a billion out of the UW. It It takes guts to say something like that. But in any event, there's a way to handle that. You know, I've handled plenty of witnesses who've lied, and I've handled plenty of difficult opposing counsels. So that kind of experience, I think, as far as um, that goes, I've loved my career, and I've loved my career in the Democratic Party. And uh, I'll put it this way. When I uh, served in the Navy, I defended our country. When I served as a lawyer, I defended my clients. And when I serve as uh, as governor, I will defend you. As far as criticism of your campaign goes, the most rampant one has been related to your work defending the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, which you've talked about at some length. Are there specific arguments against you at this point that you would like to refute in terms of those folks who have and continue, I guess, to, to call on you to drop out based no, on that work? No. In fact, um, as far as accomplishments, I think that would be one of the primary ones I'd cite in my career. We were outside counsel, Quarles and Brady, fine firm. We all have a good reputation. And uh, we these terrible thing, cases were turned over to us. And uh, what I did is we got uh, therapy and compensation for these victims. Uh, it was a horrible thing. And then I spent my time putting into effect procedures so it never happens again. There's no more transfers of abuse of priests. And I can, I'm very proudest of anything to say that since I represented the archdiocese, um, there have been no transfers of abuse of priests. So 
I'm, I'm glad we were able to clean that up. What were some of the things that you did to say, you know, that this won't happen again? Sure. The minute there's a complaint, it gets reported to the police. The police decide whether or not they want uh, the archdiocese to continue the investigation internally or hold off and let them do it, and that's followed. Uh, if the complaint is verified, they're immediately moved from ministry and uh, removed from the priesthood. You also talked about changes to legislation that you would support as sort of a result of, of some of this, um, the Victim Protection Act or, or different iterations of that. Can you talk about what that would look like under, under sure. you? Yeah. Sure. And I learned a lot in this. And what I found mostly is that a lot of politicians have kind of a swelled head about themselves. And a lot of them think they're smarter than a tree full of owls. And the truth of the matter is you learn all the time. And what I learned was uh, that we had to change the law. And so, uh, some of the changes that I proposed are extending the statute of limitations so people can come forward whenever they want. Also, and we put out a, a whole whole release on this, enhancing penalties for people who abuse um, particularly vulnerable handicapped people, and also making it far more comfortable for, for, for victims when they have to give a deposition. And I think the mis- misunderstanding is this. I don't know if you've ever given a deposition. They're never, no matter how polite the lawyer is, it's, it's unpleasant. Yeah. And so I think it's essential that victims in the future feel as comfortable as possible giving it. The reason they have to give it is, unless they say what happened, you can't remove somebody until you know who it was, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, what I'm proposing is that any victim, that that the deposition not be taken in a lawyer's office, it's taken in the court commissioner's office. And the court commissioner is independent and and sits like a judge and rules on objections and, and keeps order. Because uh, all of the victims are represented by very good lawyers themselves, so and then um, at the end of it, th- that way they feel uh, they feel supported. And then at the end of the case, if the claim is upheld in this compensation, the defendant, the the perpetrator, has to pay for the court commissioner. If, on the other hand, it's not upheld for whatever reason, we don't penalize the victim. The chief judge will have a fund set up to pay the court commissioner fees. And I, I think it's essential. Uh, I've always treated everybody in my litigation career with dignity and respect. But if some lawyers haven't or people feel uncomfortable, I think that's necessary to, to make them feel comfortable. Under the statute of limitations extension, should those victims be able to sue the archdiocese or should it be the specific folks who were responsible for the <clears throat> is, is that sort of a case by case thing? Well, no, it's not a case by case. Yeah. And, and without giving a legal brief, I can yeah, tell yeah. you this, that um, that. Um, I did. I did not ever represent the uh, individual priest. It right, was the right. Exercise itself. So um, the way that would by extending the statute of limitations, you just open up all claims. So if there's a claim against the archdiocese or any any client, of course it could be asserted. If it's against an individual, of course, or both. That that's a an individual assessment by good lawyers in each case. But uh, the point is, you open it up, and you don't limit anything, and people can sort that out in front of the judge. One more on this one, and then we'll move on. But from the folks who have asked you to either drop out or to um, engage with you in this, you've responded a couple times by saying, you know, either knock it off or, or go jump in a lake. And I don't know if that language necessarily sat well with some of those those people that you had those interactions with. Do you wish you would have said those things differently? Do you stand by those those no, comments? No. But, yeah. First of all, I think we want a governor who can stand up when he thinks we need to stand up. And I first used the word jump in the lake against the Republicans when I was asked by a journalist, well, you want to repeal Act 10. What if the Republicans say they're not going to do it? And my response is jump in the lake. I'm the governor, and you're gonna, I'm going to take this to you in each of your districts. So in this particular case, some of these groups, um, and these were not the victims, these were groups, who had already uh, were about to endorse one of my opponents, and they thought they would help her by 
by uh, just taking one of the leading candidates and tell them to get out of the race. Well, you know, uh, we didn't get pushed around in the med, in the med by the Russian fleet, and when I was in the Navy, and I'm not getting pushed around by anybody. So I said, jump in the lake. I don't think it's legitimate to tell a former party chairman, partner of Quarles and Brady, Navy veteran, uh, because he had a client. Uh, that, that he should get out of the race because they want to endorse somebody. So, frankly, that's my, my feeling. So you feel that those were really politically motivated? Well, uh, the, the people, some of the people never even called me. They didn't ask for my side of the story, and then they endorsed an opponent. So I, I don't want to prejudge what their inclinations were. I respect them. And, frankly, I agree with their overall political opinions on a lot of issues. I mean, I was the chair of the party. Mm-hmm. So, But what it is is I don't think you can have various interest groups um, – decide who can even run. I mean, you don't have to support anybody, but the voters of the state are going to decide who the nominee is, not a few a few interest groups. When you're when you're traveling the state and you're talking to voters, are, do you does this get brought up or is this really never, something that comes up no, in okay. It never gets up. People well, people say uh, you're a partner of Corals and Brady, you had a lot of clients and you're you're I, I have a good reputation, a reputation I think as being a very good lawyer and and um, uh, no, what comes up is Foxconn. Foxconn is a crooked deal that's going to strangle our state economically, take $4.5 billion that everybody, all 72 counties are going to pay for. It's going in a quarter of the state near the uh, little corner near the Illinois border where half the employees will be from Illinois. <laughs> what? And we're going to let them take water out of Lake Michigan and put it back polluted? They're under investigation for polluting the Yangtze River in China, mainland China, not Taiwan, mainland China. And uh, if they can't follow crooked... Chinese communist laws. They have no environmental laws over there. They all do it. They throw poison in the river and they walk around with a face mask in Beijing. <laughs> if, if, how bad is it if they're no good for them? We're going to let them pollute Lake Michigan? No, I don't think so. Not under Matt Flynn as governor. So Foxconn, obviously something you're passionate about. If elected governor, what are the other top priorities for you policy-wise? Well, there's a couple of things. We have to undo a lot of damage. So we have to repeal Act 10, repeal right to work, put back in prevailing wage, raise the minimum wage. We've got to have an independent DNR. We have to have clean water with an independent chair, hire scientists again, stop these permits that are being given to industry for deep wells and fracking, stop the pollution of the Menominee River um, with the sulfides in the back 40 mine by litigation, stop Tycho Johnson controls from poisoning the water up in Marinette. I mean, I could go on and on. The ma- a major issue is education, putting in full funding, a lot more funding for the UW system, restoring statutory tenure. Scott Walker left college under humiliating circumstances, and so he's vandalized. I think it's a psychological revenge mechanism, vandalizing the University of Wisconsin that he never attended. Again, we're a statutory tenure, attacking the mission statement, insulting the professors, starving, squeezing, starving, squeezing. I would lower tuitions much more than Scott Walker, but I would put more funding into the UW. And I want world-class people. UW-Madison is one of the top 50 universities in the world. And UW-Milwaukee, my father was on the faculty there for 34 years, is now an R1 research institution. I want them to keep those reputations. Also, K-12 funding, I'm going to make it pre-K-14. First two years of college and technical college public in Wisconsin, free tuition and more emphasis on pre-K. I'm very excited about education, and I, I really very excited about going forward with that. Uh, is there anything while in office that Scott Walker has done well? One thing, and that is he realized he was not suitably present and he dropped out early. Okay. That's that's what he did. Okay. I 
care about this state deeply and these issues are going to be with me for a long time. Us talking about a five-year plan is not helping me. It may be fine for you, but it's not helping me. Now, whether they're from the community, I don't care. Whether they're from space, I don't care. As long as they can provide the best visual experience for Madison. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. These are Cap Times Talks, smart conversations about big topics in Madison. Look for Cap Times Talks on iTunes or anywhere else you find podcasts. Are you ready to move on to the lightning round? I am. Okay. (laughs) We'll start with this one. Favorite Wisconsin beer? My favorite Wisconsin beer is Miller for two reasons. One, when I was a boy, my uncles drank it. We represented Miller Brewing Company for a <laughs> That's long a good reason. time. And I like the taste. Miller Miller beer. All right. Uh, High Life Light, any any Miller? Believe it or not, uh, I, I, Miller Light. Miller Light, I like it, yeah. I like Miller Light, just a nice Miller Light with spaghetti or tacos. Or something. Sure, yeah. sure. On a hot day, that's you know, that it's very refreshing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I'm more of a High Life person myself, but I'll, <laughs> that's, that's, that works. What's the best advice that your parents or, or someone else who was important to you gave you as you were growing up? My, the best advice my, uh, is my mother. I, I love my mother and my father. I'm the oldest of 11 children. I come oh, my gosh. Family. I can't believe that hasn't and come up. <laughs> my, my mother uh, was the most wonderful person I've ever known, and my father was, too, the two of them. And what my mother once told me when I was a kid in school, I had poison ivy, and I was ashamed to go to school because my face was all bloated out. She said, Matt, she said, don't worry about what other people think. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. Uh, be yourself. You know, be honest. Uh, do a good job. That's the best advice I ever got. Seems like you're living by that. I'm trying to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is the best concert that you've attended? It was a James Brown concert in 1968. I was uh, young, obviously, and uh, it was right after the terrible thing when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and the crowd was very restive. And I, I mean, there's a mixed crowd. And James Brown, I, I love his music, and he came out on stage. He gave a great concert, and then he said, All right, everybody be cool. Everybody in this room are brothers, and you go home, and we don't want any trouble. Be cool. And I think that he uh, really stopped something that could have been an incident. But I like his music. You know, I feel good. In fact, I that was the music I went on the stage with at the state convention. I was just going to mention that. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. love James Brown. He's a great, great musician. Good, good. Do you know what your first concert was? Uh, my first concert? That's, that's a long time ago. <laughs> that's a long, long time ago. But it, that would have been one of the first. Really? I, I yeah. Think. That yeah. Probably that was the first, you Okay. Know, James Brown. Yeah. yeah. You've, I think, maybe named a few, but uh, who would be your political role models? Well, what brought me into the Democratic Party was John F. Kennedy. That's my political role model. Mm-hmm. The, the fellow that whom I actually met in person, who was my major mentor, whom I have a great deal of respect for, is Senator William Proxmire. How about pet peeves? Do you have any pet peeves? I'm a, a fairly sunny guy. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, you know, grateful for a great life and a wonderful wife and family. And um, so, I, you know, I don't know that I have any pet peeves. Occasionally when you're on the campaign trail, you know, I think the one thing is, say you give a speech or something. The audience is going to disperse. You want to say hello to a lot of people. One person will come up to you and um, just keep talking. You know, so in other words, you want to be able to politely say, I, I love talking to you. And mm-hmm. I'll, but I go on and talk to a few other people before they leave. <laughs> yeah. People sort of grab you. So, but there's a way to handle that. And uh, that's such a trivial thing. I, I don't really have any pet peeves. Okay. How about any actual pets? Our family has had pets. We've had dogs. My, my parents actually, for a while, dad taught at UWM, but mom worked, uh, mom, and mom never went to college. She worked uh, in the post office in Adele and they lived in a random lake outside, a rural random lake near yeah. Boltonville. And um, they bought a 15 acre 
piece of land with a barn. I mean, they didn't farm, but we had a pony, you know, dogs, cats. I think they had some chickens. Uh, you know, I, I love animals. You're, you're campaigning, so you're probably pretty busy, but what's your favorite way to relax or relieve stress? My favorite way to relieve stress is to swim. Uh, what I like to do, I like to swim a mile, but not fast. I'm not in for the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I take a long, long time to do it. I, I, I swim for about an hour. And I, I do the breaststroke. I do the backstroke. And when you're doing that, it totally clears your mind. When you're swimming, believe me, any stress, any anxieties, or, you know, you, you, you're angry at this or you worry about that, goes right out. You know, it's just a beautiful feeling. So Wisconsin bucket list is a question I like to ask. Is there a stereotypically Wisconsin thing that you have never done or haven't done in a long time that you would like to try? You know, um, I think one of the things I would like to do, and I've done some of it, but not all of it, is tour every Frank Lloyd Wright building in the state. Okay. Now yeah. I've been to a ton of them. Yep. And actually in Milwaukee, on the, on the east side of Milwaukee, a couple of blocks from our house, there is a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Oh, cool. And I love seeing it, but I haven't done every one. Mm-hmm. And I think if I ever had to do that at some point in the deep future, that might be fun. Okay. You ready for the last one? Sure. Am. Favorite Wisconsin cheese. My favorite Wisconsin cheese is um, from Appendell in Monroe, Wisconsin. Tony's a Grogan. So that's Z-G-R-A-G-G-E-N. Okay. And it's virtually any one of his cheeses. But if I had to pick one, it's his aged cheddar. It is excellent. But uh, And I hate to give a plug, but if you want excellent cheese, you go to Alpendale, Monroe, Wisconsin, Tony's a Grogan. Okay. Well, thank you for coming in and talking. I'll let you close us with any parting words that you'd like to leave people with. Well, I, I think I would just say this. I'm a unifier. The ship I was on in the Navy, we had sailors from Mississippi and New York and Alabama and California, you know, Wisconsin, me and Arkansas. You know, we were shipmates. We had no uh, north-south divide. There were no southern caucus or northern caucus. And we stood watch together. We worked together. We went on liberty together. I look on everybody in the state as my shipmate. And uh, if I'm elected, I'm going to turn the ship around and uh, I'm going to unify the state. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We're rolling out new episodes each week on Friday, which you can find on the Cap Times website, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe if you want to find out the moment they drop. If you like what you hear or if you hate it, you can give us a rating or a review, or you can reach out to me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at Madison.com. And when you run out of Wedge Issues episodes to listen to, check out our other Cap Times podcasts like Mad Splainers and The Corner Table. We'll see you next week.